Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Awesomes, my favorite smartass and sass is back this week. And it's a good thing because life is much easier with a great sense of humor, especially if you're like me and you don't need your humor to be rated PG. Smartass and sass is the subscription box made for those of us who think the more inappropriate, the better. Get your fix of brazen humor each month. Smartass and sass items are curated and personally tested by the SNS team. And SNS partners with some of the best small businesses to bring you trendy and snarky items each month. When I opened my gift box from Smartass and sass, I was practically screaming with how much I loved everything. I have been carrying my don't be a salty bee tote with me all over town, and it brings me so much joy. I seriously want y'all to check them out too. The big box from Smartass and Sass is $49.95. Each box contains one SNS design t-shirt, and then it has between seven to nine other unique and sassy items, and it's all valued at over $90. Of course, they have other subscription sizes available, and you can subscribe at smartassandsass.com. Use code AWESOME for 10% off of your first subscription. Follow Smartass and sass on social media for your daily dose of attitude. Hey friends, I know lots of us have had to rethink what works best for our kids and their education in the past few years. And if that's true for you, you will love Baiju's Future School. At Baiju's Future School, students receive personalized attention and a world-class learning experience completely online to supplement their in-person school education. With small group and one-on-one learning, Baiju's Future School is committed to helping students become creators and shift from passive to active learning while building skills they'll use for the rest of their lives. And with Baiju's coding course, students explore the fundamentals of coding through their favorite games like Roblox and Minecraft. They'll have tons of fun while learning about the technology that makes modern games, apps, and cryptocurrencies possible. So join the millions of parents accelerating their kids' learning today. Right now, Baiju's Future School is offering our listeners their first class free. Just go to byjuice.com slash podcast to sign up for your first class absolutely free. That's byjus.com slash podcast. It's February 4th, 2022. And today I am indulging in a conversation I've been wanting to have on microphone for at least a month now. Joining me once again is my oldest daughter, Daisy. Hi, Dace. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back to Sorta Awesome. I have been pestering you for weeks to come on the show and talk to me about Encanto, right? Mm-hmm. Well, here we are. We are both homesick. We're all homesick. The whole family homesick. And we're also waiting for a 
big snowstorm, supposedly, here in Oklahoma City. So it seems like, hey, you know what? Maybe we could like lift our spirits a little bit today by talking about one of my favorite movies. I think it's become one of your favorites too, right? Yes. Yeah. And that is Disney's Encanto. We're talking all about the awesome of Encanto this week. Daisy is going to lend us some thoughts on the music itself. We're going to talk about the themes. We're going to talk about why kids and teens and adults all Love this movie so much. I cannot wait to share this conversation with you. I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sort of Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes, to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are thrilled that you have found your way to the most amazing supportive community of women on the planet. Not only are we thrilled to have you listen and share conversations here on the podcast, but we would also love to have you join us in one of our online communities. So come over and find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. We'd love to have you join us over there. And we'd really like to welcome you to the Sorta Awesome Hangout on Facebook. Over 5,000 women who are supporting each other daily through all of the things of life in our Facebook community. And that is facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. So, Daisy, again, thank you for coming back to Sorta Awesome. Mm-hmm, of course. Now, you're a little self-conscious because you are sick. I am sick. And I'm forcing you to get on mic, <laughs> and you feel a little mm-hmm. nervous about your voice. I do. I do. But we've we're, we've had the tea with honey. We've, we're taking meds. We've got cough drops if we need them. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about that. Now, a few things have changed since the last time you were here last fall, right? Yes. So when you were here in the fall, you had a big goal for your music. You were getting ready to audition for NCHO, North Central oh, well, Honors that's right. Orchestra. That was like forever ago. How did that turn out? Uh, I got third chair, guys. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> was so fun. Mm -hmm. And then just recently, what other big musical accomplishment did you make? I got into Allstate. I got seventh chair and I went and I stayed there for three days just playing music with people and it was an awesome time. Yeah. Just as a reminder, if you're new to Sort of Awesome, Daisy's a bassist. She plays the double bass. She's been playing since third grade. Now she's in 11th grade. Mm -hmm. So just knocking out those musical goals. (laughs) You had another big milestone recently. I'm 17 now. Now you're 17. <laughs> How do you feel? Um, I don't know. It's it's pretty cool, but like <laughs> I'm just getting older, I guess. I'm an old lady now. My my joints are going to stop working here pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, any day. That's generally what happens when you turn 17. <laughs> Well, I am truly so thankful for you to take the time as we are um, just, yeah, we're, we're going through kind of a, a rough moment with sickness and all of that, but you are willing to come and talk to us about Encanto. So like I said, we're going to talk about like the musical part of it, because mm-hmm. that is a huge part of the experience, right? Yes, definitely. And I, think, I think that like in terms of pop culture, mm-hmm. broadly speaking, culturally, that's what people have really latched onto is the music. Yep. We're also going to talk about some of the big themes, though. Like, what is it about this fictionalized story of a family in Colombia that is so universally felt by Mm -hmm. so many people, Mm -hmm. right? So we're going to kind of explore some of that. We're going to get to all things Encanto. If you haven't seen Encanto, first of all, you're welcome to stay and listen, because truly we would just love to share our passion about this story and this movie with you. If you haven't seen it, go 
get yourself hooked up with uh, Disney Plus, where you can watch it on streaming. Well worth the money to uh, to get hooked up with Disney Plus just to watch this. And of course, they have tons of other programming. Daisy, you love Encanto so much. Not only have you seen it streaming, but you went and saw it in the theater too, That's right? right? Yeah, yeah. Was that fun? It was. It's it's a it's a different experience. I hadn't been to the movies in a while, so for sure. Mm-hmm. Were people singing along in the theater? Well, I mean, they were like. Six people there, including <laughs> my friends. So. And, you and your friends were like four of them? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we went and saw it in December, so it had already been out for a while. That's true, yeah. Maybe eventually they'll have like big sing-along, like you can go specifically to sing-along. Oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. That'd be so cute. I'm going to go to every single one of them. <laughs> okay, well, we have so many things in Kanto to talk about. But first... Let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. If you are new to Sorta Awesome, well, Awesome of the Week is the moment in the show where we stop and talk about whatever is making life a little bit more awesome right now, whether it's a book or a TV show, music, movies, products, something that's bringing a little happiness to our lives. Stacey, Awesome of the Week, what do you have for us this week? Well, I wanted to talk about pretty much my favorite mascara ever. It is the Stay Perfect Mascara from number seven. Yay! (laughs) I love that you love this so much. How did you find this mascara? (laughs) You gave it to me. (laughs) (laughs) You gave it to me, and I have not given it back since I've held it hostage. It is mine forever. I love so many products from number seven, so I thought I would check out their mascara and... Uh, it just wasn't a great hit for me. And so I did pass it on to you. Mm-hmm. Many of our products are exchanges back and forth, I feel like. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's so true. I, I handed it off to you and it actually was the perfect mascara for you, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so what do you love about it? Because you've tried a lot of different mascaras. Right. Something that I do find a lot of mascaras that I try, they tend to clump up a lot because mm. I tend to apply like more than one layer. Mm-hmm. But um, this does not clump at all, and it's it doesn't come off as easily throughout the day. Like no smudges, no smudges, uh, except when I'm rubbing my eyes. But then, like I mean, that makes sense. But yeah, it stays it's, it stays on a long time. Uh, I know with some of the mascaras I've tried, there'll be something that I'm like, I really love this mascara, except for this thing about it. Like, is there anything that you think is like mm, this is not so great, or is it just all around a great mascara? I mean, it just seems it seems pretty great to me. Um, does it wash off fairly easily? Okay, or? now that is one thing. It, okay. it does take a little bit of effort to get all of it off. Okay. Um, I guess that's kind of like the double-edged sort of having it, you know. Have, that's so true. Yeah. Yes. Do you find that you have to use like a special eye makeup remover or do you, can you just wash it off with your face wash? I just do it with like my face wash. Now, to be fair, you do use an oil-based cleanser, right? Yes, I do. And so that definitely helps. Yeah. A lot of times oil-based cleansers are really great for taking off any kind of eye makeup, especially yes. the long-wearing stuff like a mascara. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have great lashes to Thank begin with. Thank you. Thank you. You have nice. dark, uh, long lashes that kind of are curled naturally. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're probably like the ideal person for this product as number well, seven was creating it. Well, maybe. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that you're loving that mascara. It's probably time for a new tube, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that is Daisy's. It's the Stay Perfect Mascara from number seven. I will definitely put a link in the show notes if you also would like to check out the Stay Perfect. I know number seven has a couple of different kinds of mascara Mm -hmm. and you're liking the Stay Perfect one. So that's fun. Okay. Well, my awesome of the week this week is a podcast 
series, kind of. It's like a multimedia experience, but mostly I'm talking about the podcast part of it. It's called 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. That's interesting. Are you intrigued? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Well, it's hosted by Rob Harvilla. He is a writer at The Ringer, and he does exactly what this project sounds like. He has taken 60 songs that explain truly what that decade was about, the 90s. Now, as a reminder, I am class of 95. So I graduated high school right smack dab in the middle of the 90s. 90s music is life to me. So you can imagine that I was very intrigued by this project. But what he does is he takes 60 songs. He's highlighting the most important songs and what each of those songs say about like our culture, about love and dating and marriage and family life, um, about things like jobs and the economy, about uh, gender, sexuality, and takes these songs and kind of looks at all of these different aspects of life in the 90s through the lens of music. That's pretty cool. Does it sound like something you might be into too? (laughs) It does. Well, he starts with one of my very favorite songs from the 90s. The first song that I can remember feeling like a real rebel because I was listening to it on repeat, and that is Alanis Morissette's You Oughta Know. That whole album, Jacket Little Pill, was absolutely the soundtrack for my freshman year of college. I loved hearing Rob Harvilla's thoughts breaking down that song. And you guys, I'm telling you, this podcast covers everything from like Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Did you know that's a 90s song? No. It is. To the Notorious B.I.G.'s Juicy, to Oasis's Wonderwall. You guys, it is so fascinating. It's so good. The podcast itself is on Spotify, but you can also, like, this is why I said it's kind of like a multimedia experience because you can also go and read the text for each entry of the songs that he covers at The Ringer. So I will link to both of those in the show notes. So you could either go read about the songs or listen to him talking about the songs. But yeah, 60 songs that explain the 90s. I mean, what more could a girl ask for in this (laughs) The Year of Our Lord 2022? It's pretty amazing. All right, those are our awesomes of the week. Like I said, we'll have links in the show notes where you can go and check those out for yourselves. We would love to hear what is awesome in your life right now. And so please come and join us in one of our communities online. Again, you could do that at uh, over on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show on Instagram, or come find us in the Facebook group because we have our Awesome of the Week thread every Friday there. And again, that's facebook.com slash group slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. Daisy, we have so much Encanto to talk about today. We're going to get to all of that when we come right back. All right, guys, it's a new year and I have got a new favorite because it makes so many meals so much easier, especially when I'm in a time crunch. There's no meal planning and no prep with Factor. Factor makes it easy for me to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never frozen prepared meals that are so delicious, it's hard to believe they're actually good for you. Factor saves me time by delivering chef-crafted meals to my doorstep, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep, not to mention there's no cleanup, no dishes to wash here. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. You guys, that's even faster than ordering in. And I'm not the only one here who loves them. A certain work-from-home husband around here keeps stealing my Factor meals for his lunches. So head to go.factor75.com slash 
awesome120 and use code awesome120 to get $120 off. That's code awesome120 at go.factor75.com slash awesome120 for $120 off. Friends, please tell me that you have joined the whole chorus of awesomes who are singing the praises of Billy. Every single week we hear from more of you who are loving their Billy razors. Yes, even in the dead of winter. And that's because Billy is the best razor for women at half the price that you'd expect. No pink tax, no visit to the drugstore, no irritation, no matter what. As it gets cooler outside, my skin usually dries up, which is actually why I love shaving with my Billy razor because Billy razors are super moisturizing and they actually help to detoxify my skin with a built-in 360-degree charcoal shave soap. Billy's crazy affordable starter kit comes with their award-winning razor, two precision five-blade refill cartridges, and of course, their cult favorite magnetic holder. Listen, I love Billy razors. My teenage daughters love them. The awesomes love them. I can't imagine ever using a different kind of razor ever again. You guys don't suffer another second paying a pink tax for a bad shave. Go to mybilly.com awesome to get the best razor you will ever own while supporting this show. Billy is half the price of other razors, plus free shipping always. Just go to mybilly.com slash awesome. That's spelled mybilly.com slash awesome. That's mybilly.com slash awesome. Okay, we are back. And as Stacey and I talked about, like, how can we have a conversation that we really want to have about Encanto, but share it in a way that makes sense to people who are listening. We thought we would break it down in a couple of ways. First, we're going to kind of give the broad overview of Encanto for those of you who haven't seen it, or just as a little reminder, if you've only seen it once or twice, uh, or a couple of times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then I wanted us to first kind of talk about the music mm-hmm. because it is such a huge part of the experience of Encanto. And then later I thought we could talk about some of the big themes mm-hmm. that people are really relating to that are really resonating for audiences from Encanto. Before we even start, obviously, obviously, Daisy and I are both white and the story of Encanto is takes place in Colombia. It is about a Colombian family. So um, I go back and forth. Daisy and I both have had Spanish. Daisy is way better at Spanish, naturally. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Than I am. But you might hear us um, either not do so great with some of our pronunciations. We don't want to, you know, be too overdramatic with the, the Spanish pronunciations. But we want to also obviously acknowledge that we're talking about a story that takes place in the in the context text of Colombia. And um, it's very Spanish language, like the character names and the songs and some of the, those types of things mm-hmm. all are very related to um, the Spanish language. And so bear with us and our pronunciations as we go through the story. So the film follows the story of a family called the Madrigals. Mm-hmm. They are led by the matriarch, the abuela, the grandmother, whose name is Alma. All of her children and grandchildren, or or most of them anyway, have received special gifts from their magical house, La Casita, that help them to, the gifts like kind of give to, not only to their family, but also to their community in rural Colombia. Now, everyone, all of the, the, all of Alma's children, and then 
almost all of her grandchildren have received a gift, all except for Mirabelle. And she's our protagonist in the story, <laughs> right? Yep. She seems to just be kind of ordinary, the ordinary grandchild. She doesn't have the gift. She's almost kind of like a black sheep of the family alongside her uncle Bruno, who, as far as we know, when the story begins, has left the family because of something related to his gift. So that's where our story begins. Before we get too much further into it, let's just give everybody a reminder of what the gifts are are given to the Madrigal family. Let's start with Abuela. Does she even have a gift? So Abuela technically does not have a gift, but she was the one who received the miracle that allowed um, her community to sort of begin. And this miracle is what gave her um, La Casita Mm -hmm. and the opportunity for her children and grandchildren to have gifts. Yeah. So even though she doesn't technically have a gift, she does feel like that the miracle has been entrusted to her, mm-hmm. right? And so she holds that that role in that position really seriously, yep. I guess you yep. could say. Okay, let's introduce the rest of the family characters here. So uh, starting with uh, the triplets, um, all of Abuela's kids, there is Tia Peppa. She is able to control the weather with her emotions, although control maybe is not the right word. It's sort of like she manifests ah. weather around her based on what she's feeling in the moment. Yes. And then there's... Do you want me to talk about Bruno? <laughs> 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 yeah, we better go ahead and talk about Bruno. So Bruno is um, the second triplet. He is He has the ability to kind of foresee the future with his gift. He does not choose the outcome of what is going to happen. He's merely like the messenger of all that is, all that he sees. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's Julieta, who is um, Mirabelle's mom. She has the ability to heal people through the food that she cooks. I love it. Which is, is very wholesome to me and very sweet. I I love love that gift so much. (laughs) Okay. So those were the triplets. Those are um, uh, Abuela's children. And we find out, and we'll talk about more about what happened to their father and in the beginning, the origins of their family here in mm-hmm. a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the grandchildren. So starting with, I'm going to start with uh, Peppa's side of the family. Okay. So her oldest daughter, Dolores, she has the, she has like sort of superhuman hearing. And then her middle child, uh, Camilo, he is a shapeshifter. He can change his physical appearance to match that of anybody that he has seen. And then there's Antonio, who receives the gift uh, during the movie to communicate with animals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a fun gift, too, isn't it? <laughs> I love Antonio. He's so sweet. Yes. You also really love Camillo, I feel like. Oh, yeah. He's a really fun character. Mm-hmm. I a think lot it- of people my age. Really like him. Yeah. I think I remember in one of our first conversations about it, you felt like Camilo didn't get enough screen time. No, because he didn't, though. <laughs> like, he had an interesting character concept, and I feel like that easily could have, like, he easily could have been involved more, but he wasn't. I honestly feel like every single one of these, like, this could be like a whole universe. Like, uh-huh. we could have the story of every single one of Origin these characters. Story. Yes, <laughs> seriously. There's so much interesting about each of these gifts. I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's go to Mirabelle's side of the family. So, uh, Julieta also had uh, three children. Her oldest is Isabella, whose gift is to sort of create plants, but she's more like commonly associated with being like the golden child, the mm-hmm. oldest, like mm-hmm. the the perfect one, I guess. Yeah. In quotations, perfect. Right. Um, her middle child, Louisa, she has superhuman strength. And then Mirabelle, who uh, has no gift. 
No gift. As far as we can see. As far as we can see. And, you know, one of the most traumatic and sort of troubling moments for Mirabelle in her life was, so in in the context of the movie, there's a whole ceremony Mm -hmm. when each child receives their gift and it's a whole thing. And it's dealt with in the movie that Mirabelle had the whole ceremony Mm -hmm. and then seemingly doesn't receive a gift at Mm -hmm. the ceremony. So yeah, you can see how that would set up a troubling dynamic in the family, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we'll talk more about that as we get into talking about some of the songs and the themes here. But let's start with talking about about the music itself. So famously, probably even if you haven't seen Encanto, but you've heard conversations around it, you may know that the majority of the soundtrack, the sung songs of the soundtrack of the movie were written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yes. We'll be referring to him as Lin because we're on first name basis. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, of course, one of the most prolific and probably well-known composers and um, songwriters, particularly of musicals. Mm Mm-hmm. Of our time, of course, in the Heights and Hamilton, uh, did a lot of the songs for Moana, for Disney, and for Encanto. So, Lynn and the whole filmmaking team actually spent two weeks in Colombia researching to study the music, the culture. They really wanted to make sure that the music that they create to tell the story of the Madrigal family is accurate. And that's an authentic representation of Columbia. I thought that was really interesting that he worked on it for five years. Really? I didn't know that part. Yes. Wow. So I love that. Let's just kind of start at the top and talk about like the family Madrigal. That's the opening song, right? Mm-hmm. Did you know that this song has one of the fastest beats of any Disney song? <laughs> if you look back on all of the soundtracks, mm-hmm. one of the fastest beats. What I thought was interesting about this song, it serves a similar function that the song Belle from Beauty and the Beast Mm-hmm. serves in that story. So Belle being the song where she goes into the village and bonjour, 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 then tells the story of the little village. Yeah. Yeah. It introduces the village and the the context for Belle's life without giving you a lot of storytelling at the beginning. Well, the family Madrigal does the same thing. It really bears that narrative burden. Mm-hmm of telling us all about this magical family, what gifts they have. It gets all of that exposition out of the way so that we can just launch straight into the story, which I think is really a fascinating way to do it. And I think a lot of musicals really do that with their opening number, right? Yeah. You get this big picture, like, here's everything you need to know before we really get into the story, right? Which is definitely very important. So that information sort of sticks with you throughout, you know, viewing the whole thing. Putting it in song form makes it a lot easier for you to take in all at once. Yeah. What stands out to you about this song, The Family Madrigal? Oh my gosh, I love the syncopation in this song. If you listen to the melody, not a single measure the rhythm never starts on the first beat. It's always off put by half a beat. Oh. And um, syncopation is just generally speaking a key element to most Latin music. And that's very present in this song as as it is with every other song in the soundtrack. But this is where, of course, it's first introduced being the first song. And I just really like it. It's catchy. Oh, it's super catchy. It really is. I feel like this whole soundtrack, like, 
everyone has that kind of like their song, mm-hmm. but there's like not a bad song on here, right? Right. I mean, they're right. all so catchy. They all will get stuck into your mind and That's you'll wake up sure. in the middle of the night singing them. <laughs> okay, so then we've got Colombia Mi Encanto, which means basically Colombia My Love. Mm-hmm. This style of song, did you know this is called a vallenato? I did not know that. Vallenato means from the valley. It's a popular Colombian folk music genre. It mm. mostly comes from the country's um, Caribbean region. Now, this song is interesting because it's one of the only two songs on the soundtrack, I think, that's recorded by someone who's not in the actual cast of characters. Mm. It was recorded by Carlos Vives, who is a superstar Colombian actor, singer, and songwriter. Like, he is huge in Colombia and Colombian culture and Latin music. And so for to get him to do this performance, genuinely extolling his love for the his country of Colombia was mm-hmm. a huge win for the soundtrack. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about Waiting on a Miracle. Oh my gosh, I love this song. So this song is sung by the character of Mirabelle. Mm. This is the standard I want song. Yeah. Most musicals, especially modern musicals, start with a song where the main character singing their I want song. Even if you're not familiar with that terminology, and it's just two words, it's just like a little phrase that describes it. It's a song that usually happens early in the first act, and it serves the purpose of revealing to the audience what the main character's motivation is. What's their driving thing, right? Kind of sets the direction for where the story is going to go. Totally. So a very early example would be like from the movie musical Wizard of Oz, Mm -hmm. Somewhere Over the Rainbow, sets us up with Dorothy dreaming about what life could be out there beyond the rainbow, right? Um, Other examples would be like from the Little Mermaid, part of your world. Again, this longing of Ariel's to know what is in that world uh, beyond the sea, right? (laughs) From Hamilton, my shot sets up the longing of Alexander Hamilton to have his shot. That's right. Dear Evan Hansen. Oh my gosh, I didn't know you were going to talk about Dear Evan Hansen. Yes, Waving Through a Window Mm -hmm. would be the, the I Want song that kind of sets us up there. So, in Waiting on a Miracle, we hear from Mirabelle that, you know, she kind of tries to be like, I'm totally fine. I don't have a gift, but it's fine. She Mm -hmm. reveals to us, the audience in the song. She's she's, not fine. She's not fine. Mm -hmm. That she feels like an outsider without one. She wants to be seen. Yes. Now, this morning, as we were getting ready to record, I burst into your room (laughs) and I said, (laughs) Dace, can you tell the beat of a song like can you understand and know what the beat of the song is just by listening to it and i said i don't mean like people in general can you personally (laughs) and you were like yes and i said so in waiting on a miracle and before i could even finish it what did you say i said it's in three four yes which is so time signature just to clarify because i don't know how much music knowledge is like just in case you don't know, just in case you don't know. Time signature is basically how many beats are in each measure of certain music and what rhythmic value is considered to be one beat. And 3-4 means that there are three quarter notes in a single measure of this song. Okay, okay. Did you know, because the reason I burst into your room like that, because mm-hmm. I was doing the research and I just found this out, that Lynn wrote this song on a different beat than any of the other songs. 
in the musical yeah. in the in the soundtrack. I mean, that makes sense. Um, it kind of illustrates that Mirabel is sort of, I mean, like literally, she is out of beat without with the rest of her family. Yeah. Um, she's like distinct from them. She doesn't she doesn't blend with them the way that it is expected for her to do so. Yeah. When you dig into the actual musical structure of mm-hmm. this this Disney movie, there's so much depth and richness there, which I think actually is another reason why it took off so much on TikTok. Absolutely. Because if nothing else, TikTok is a place where you can go and nerd out about the details of your thing that you're into. And so many people have taken so many different aspects of the songs here and like done these like, almost like treasure hunts, finding all of these cool elements. One thing I would like to point out is the tempo for Waiting on a Miracle and Family Madrigal when if you were to play those two songs at exactly the same time, then um, four measures of waiting on a miracle fits perfectly into two measures of family madrigal. So if you were to play those two measures, four measures, they would start and end at exactly the same time. <gasps> oh my gosh, that's crazy! Yes. So even though this song is written in three four to show that she is she doesn't she doesn't fall into the same pattern as the rest of her family does, they still. Aww. sort of line up together. <laughs> I'm going to start crying. <laughs> I didn't expect to start crying. <laughs> Getting caught today, but here we are. Oh, that's really beautiful, though. That mm-hmm. Even though she mm-hmm. feels like she's out of step, she actually still aligns perfectly she does. with yeah. her family. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, speaking of crying about songs, let's talk about surface pressure. Oh, did you cry during this song? <laughs> I didn't cry when it was when we first watched the movie, but mm-hmm. when I went and looked at the lyrics later, I did have a like a little heart squeezy moment. Aww. So surface pressure, I say it could be the ballad of older daughters of every family, right? Yeah. yeah. Definitely I think it's the theme song for every Enneagram two out there. Surface pressure. Oh, absolutely. It's Luisa's theme song. She says, give it to your sister. Your sister's older. Give her all the heavy things that we can't shoulder. She wonders, who am I if I can't run with the ball? It's her grappling with, and she literally says like, she can't, she's not worth anything if she can't be of service to the people that need her. She defines her own self-worth based on what she's capable of, which I think I myself am guilty of as Mm -hmm. well as many other people, many other people my age, Mm -hmm. people not my age. It's, It's a sort of a theme that a lot of people can identify with. Absolutely. It's highly singable. Such an earworm. Just last week, it hit Billboard's top 10. Really? Yeah. That's fun. um, It's really, you know, it's really landing with a lot of people. Here's what Lin-Manuel Miranda said about that song. He said, I'm the baby of the family. I have a sister who's six years older, and she got a raw deal. That song is my love letter and apology to my sister for having it easier. I watched my sister deal with the pressure of being the oldest and carrying burdens I never had to carry. I remember my parents woke my sister up to put together a He-Man playset for Christmas before I woke up. What? They wanted it to be fully assembled when I woke up on Christmas morning. I put all of that angst and all of those moments into Louisa. So I love that. I think that Mm-hmm. It's more meaningful to have the younger sibling of the family like be like, you know what? I didn't realize it at the time, mm-hmm. but now I'm seeing all of the ways that you had to carry stuff. Yeah. We're sitting here, two oldest daughters with tears in our eyes. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me because I'm like, oh, no, I didn't want you to feel that too. But I do think some of it is a natural part of family dynamics. Could be. And then some Could of it's be. something that we take on ourselves, right? Well, 
Depending, it can also be something that's expected of us, yeah. as it is with Louisa, as she says over and over again, not just in this song, but over the course of the movie. Yes. Okay, we got to keep going. There's so much that we could talk about in ah, all of these, but you know what? Ah, it's yeah. time. It's time. We got to talk about him. <laughs> we don't talk about Bruno. No, 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 no. We don't talk about Bruno. Possibly the most catchy song ever. It has recently surpassed Let It Go as the number one most played Disney song of all time. I believe it. I believe it. So it tells the story of, and and, and Lin-Manuel Miranda said that he was kind of inspired by how there's sometimes in family dynamics, there's that gossip around the one family member that we're not supposed to talk about, but everybody talks about him. And in this case, in the family Madrigal, it's Bruno. Now, musically, I thought this was so interesting. Each verse is sung over the same chord progression, mm-hmm. but with different rhythms and cadences. And Lynn has said that the varied styles in that song are meant to represent the incredible amount of variety within Colombian music, mm. which again, yes. just his reverence for and honoring of Colombian music and culture, just it comes through in every single song. And I thought that that was really interesting. Now, there's so much to say about this. The way all of the different characters are like, interjecting and overlaying things, right? right? Yes. I have to say, I'm just going to pick on this one part. There's so much to talk about this song, but there's this one part of the song that I love so much. It's Isabella's verse that goes into Dolores's. So here's how it goes. Told me that the life of my dreams would be promised and someday be mine. He told me that my power would grow like the grapes that thrive on the vine. Oye, Mariano's on his way. He told me that the man of my dreams would be just out of reach. Be told to another. And the first time we really started listening to the song, I just kept thinking about this. And I asked you, like, what's happening musically? Because it felt like those are, like, so similar, but they're also different. So talk a little bit about what happens in that transition from Isabella to Dolores. So even without, like, prior musical knowledge, I think most people would be able to see, you know, how similar those lines are, most evidently, because they have the same rhythm for the most part. And I'll touch more on that here in a second. Uh, But another thing that I would like to point out is that the first three notes of both Isabella and Dolores's lines in this part of the song. They're perfect inversions of each other. So that means, you know, the second the second note in Isabella's line, it goes from, it takes a major third up, while the second to third note in Dolores's line goes a major third down. Okay, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what was really sticking for me, because I was like, they're so similar, but how? They're identical, but opposite. Is identical, the simple way. but opposite. Yes. That's the simple way of putting it. Okay. And another thing I think that's happening character-wise that's so interesting Mm -hmm. is how Dolores kind of lets her verse just kind of fade out. Like, Isabella is literally singing over her words. Right. I was going to say that. She's she's singing over her, and something else that I did notice earlier, if you you play the beginning of Isabella's line and Dolores' line simultaneously, Mm -hmm. they have the same rhythm, like I said earlier, the exact same rhythm up until the point where Isabella sings and someday be mine, Mm -hmm. where Dolores drops out until she says betrothed to another, where B and both of those lines start at exactly the same time. She says be mine. Dolores says betrothed to another. (gasps) Oh my gosh, that gave me chills. (laughs) 
That is amazing. Yes, yes, Why is. is Lynn such a genius? He's, oh my gosh, I don't even care if you think he's annoying. His musical genius is undeniable. Yes. That's incredible. And again, just, and we don't have time to dig into this, but just knowing the bigger story mm-hmm. of Isabella and Dolores and what they want in terms of marriage and, and a man and those types of things. It's just mm-hmm. so interesting what's happening character-wise with the music there. Yes. Now, Lynn does this thing at the end, uh, towards the end of We Don't Talk About Bruno, after It's Time for Dinner, where everybody's singing their thing. All simultaneously at the same time. But yes. it's written in such a way where not one single part takes priority over another, and they all blend in a way that still, it doesn't distract the ear at all. Yes. You can pick out individual parts where they are. Yeah. But at the same time, they they play in a way that all makes sense. The first time I heard this, I was like, this is so, this is Lin-Manuel Miranda doing his most Lin-Manuel Miranda thing. And it reminded me of like the last 30 seconds of Nonstop in Hamilton, Mm -hmm. where every character is coming back in with their like theme, like their thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, you would think it would be chaotic, but he writes it in such a way that it is like, cacophonous organized chaos organized chaos yes but you can still it creates this like sort of emotional um climax i guess you could say yes of all yes. of the characters trying to get their point of view across in the song right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay there's so much to say about Bruno, but we got to move on. We got <laughs> yes, more songs to go through. Yes. Okay, let's talk about what else can I do. This is um, Isabella's emotional breakthrough moment. What else can I do? Can I deliver us a river of Zondo? Careful, it's carnivorous. A little just won't do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she's the one who can create flowers and plants in this moment, she realizes she, she like gets really angry and she creates a cactus. Mm-hmm. And it like is the beginning of this emotional journey for her to realize that she could make things that aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. And they're still just as worthy and valuable. Absolutely. Yes. So Lemon Miranda said he was really inspired by the 90s rock and Espanol movement that specifically featured artists like Shakira, who is, of course, Colombian. I think this is a great theme song, a perfect theme song, if you will, for perfectionist oh my gosh enneagram one hi yeah. i'm one of i'm i'm one of you i'm a one <laughs> as an enneagram one does this song speak to you absolutely i mean like i i already sort of related to isabella sort of in the second half of the movie first half she was a butthead <laughs> for for lack of better words yeah <laughs> but i mean yeah specifically the part where she says um i don't remember the exact words but she's basically like what what all could i uh, create if I realized it doesn't have to be perfect, it just has to be. Yes. Which to me was just like, wow, thank you for saying that because I did need to hear that. Yeah. I love that the visuals of this song is she's creating all kinds of crazy things yes. just for the fun of it. On a recent episode here on Sort of Awesome, we were talking about how Enneagram different Enneagram types can deal with ongoing stress. And I said that ones can cope with ongoing stress by leaning into that seven arrow and having fun. Yes. And I think we really do see that in the visuals as she's just having fun creating just for fun for yeah. her, yeah. creating what she wants to. That's just for fun. One thing, one thing that I would like to point out, not in the music itself, but in the lyrics, because there are multiple moments where 
this movie does this. Uh, it uses the same words, but in a different context. Mm-hmm. So, and we don't talk about Bruno, where Isabella says that her powers would grow like the grapes that thrive on the vine. Yes. That would imply that, you know, it's still in this context of, oh, everything I do is beautiful. Yeah. And then she mentions hanging vines in her song, um, okay. What Else Can I Do? Where instead of being, oh, this is beautiful, this is gorgeous, it's like, this is what's authentic to me. Okay. I never got that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is so powerful. I love that. All right, let's talk about Dos Oruguitas. Oh my gosh. Dos Oruguitas Enamoradas Pasan sus noches Crying! <laughs> Yay! Such a sob fest. When we watched this, almost all of us were sitting there with tears just running down our cheeks. I have uh-huh. to tell you, I uh-huh. listened and watched it again, just the song this morning. I had a complete ugly cry over that all Aww, over again. Mama. Um, it's so powerful. This song, of course, tells the story of Alma and Pedro. And I'm just start crying. No, you can't start crying. <laughs> listen, listen. Deep breaths. Do you want to tell what it's about? <laughs> okay, it's about Alma and Pedro and how they had to flee from violence in um, in the town they were living in. Right. And so it really kind of captures this moment in the experience of any peoples who are displaced by war, the mm-hmm. horrors of war and the fact that Pedro does die. And so here's Alma left with her three infants. Mm-hmm. The uh, Oruguitas are caterp- caterpillars. Yes, they are. And so the, it tells the story of two caterpillars who, though they love each other, must part ways mm-hmm. and then become butterflies. <laughs> oh my gosh. My mama loves nature analogies, <laughs> if you didn't know that. Mom, mom. Wow, it's okay. Okay, okay. okay. All right. It's true. I do. (laughs) They really speak to me. Mm -hmm. One thing that I thought was so fascinating about this, because there was a lot of, not really controversy, but there was a lot of discussion on TikTok about this song and how if you only listen to the English version of it, Mm -hmm. like you're missing it, right? So Lynn said that this is one of the first songs he's ever written entirely in Spanish, not in English first and then translated. Mm -hmm. And though he is Puerto Rican, he grew up in the U.S., he learned English as his first language. So he felt like he had to really stretch himself as a writer to write this one entirely in Spanish because he kind of felt insecure about it. Like, I don't have enough vocabulary in Spanish to write a whole (laughs) song in Spanish. And so, yes, there is an English version on the soundtrack, but the true, like... This song wouldn't be the same without Spanish. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to say it. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to say it. And so even if you don't understand Spanish, which I don't, you can watch the... If you put it in um, closed captioning yes. on the movie, it will give you the lyrics as it is written, but it's in English mm-hmm. instead of like a translation. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes there's some nuance there that gets lost along the way, right? Yes. Do you have anything you want to add about that I song? I do, okay. except um, I didn't actually realize this on my own. Uh, Mom, Megan, Meg. Man, that's weird. Um, <laughs> uh, she sent me a TikTok. About this song specifically by user Brett Bowles, who realized that the two chords used in this song um, sort of creates this idea of tension and release. The two chords, the first uh, has a singular note in the chord that does not belong to the key signature of C major, which is what this is written in. And that sort of creates this tension, even without any musical knowledge. You recognize, oh, that doesn't sound... 
right? Mm-hmm. Like a dissonance. It's a dissonance. Okay. It is It is a dissonance. I don't want to say right or wrong because, I mean, like, that's so subjective in mm-hmm. music. Um, it does create a sort of dissonance, but then the, the second resolves back to the honky C major, which is this, this uh, sort of peak of tension and then this release. Peak and release. Peak and release. It's this idea that by letting go of this, this upheaval, this tension, that you eventually find your way home. You, you find the place where it is meant to belong. Where you are meant to belong. Don't cry. Listen. <laughs> We've got to get through this. <laughs> yes, oh we do. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And that's why I love TikTok, honestly. Mm-hmm. Because so many people are so wildly brilliant and talented mm-hmm. and have brought out so much more depth Absolutely. and meaning to all of this. Okay, quickly, quickly. All of you. The big, you know, sort of finale cast of characters come back together, this time in unity and love and acceptance and celebration. As all of you is playing, we're looking at repairing the house, La Casita, mm-hmm. which had been crumbling. Again, there's a lot of plot we didn't get into here. Yes. But uh, yes. more importantly, repairing the relationships that have fractured over time, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful, you know, kind of culmination piece, which all good musicals have, right? Mm-hmm. Speaking of La Casita, one thing I did notice and I found very interesting. Um, this isn't so much a music thing, more just like a uh, a plot symbolism kind of Okay. The doors are a very important aspect. Of, you the, know... The doors in La Casita. And the doors in La Casita mm-hmm. are a very important uh, aspect of the plot, seeing as how Mirabelle didn't get her own door. You can see the doors as this way of each member of the family being able to... It's this physical barrier allowing themselves to sort of block themselves off from the rest of the family. Oh, interesting. While Mirabelle never got that opportunity. Since she didn't get her own door, she was always, like... And... She herself was the only person able to get these other people, other her, the rest of her family, to open up to her. Yeah. And um, in in the very in this song, when Bruno says uh, he has this line, "You're the real gift, kid. Let us in." That is um, her ultimately being able to um, get her family to open up to her. Yes. Like I said. Yeah. Um, and the final door at the end is the only door in the entire house where every single member of the family, including Mirabelle, is represented. Meaning that La Casita is all of theirs, not just one, uh, not just one door for each person. It belongs to every single one of them equally. Uh, not just one family member individually. It is all of them as a whole. They are they are all parts of the same whole. Yeah, in a sort of way. Yeah, totally. Yes. Oh, that's really beautiful. And I hadn't even really realized that. Mm-hmm. That I mean, again, you've seen this multiple times, so mm-hmm. I'm sure on, I got on a lot of thoughts. Yes, it. exactly. That's really powerful. And such, again, the thing about Encanto, I think that people are loving is truly multiple viewings continues to reveal yes. more and more depth to this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have covered the music of Encanto. When we come back, Daisy and I are going to unpack some of the themes and why people are having their own emotional breakthroughs <laughs> as they watch Encanto alone mm-hmm. or with their families. We're going to cover all of that when we come right back. All right, awesomes, as you may have noticed, I do love all things shiny and pretty. I'm always noticing the jewelry looks that other women wear, but sometimes I feel like I don't know how to make those looks happen for myself. That's a huge reason why I'm so 
thrilled to introduce you to Ana Luisa and hook you up with 40% off. I was immediately blown away by Ana Luisa's earth conscious mission and their super fair prices on beautiful jewelry pieces. Immediately, I found these chic and dainty rings that I knew would be gorgeous on their own, but would also be perfect for stacking. I went with the Wander adjustable ring, which is wavy and eye-catching on its own, but I knew I could easily stack it with the very simple and timeless Rope Mini and Song Gold rings. These rings are so pretty and so well-made, and I am so into them. And Ana Luisa's prices are so affordable that I know I'll be back again very soon to shop for my girls and for myself. Y'all have to go check out Ana Luisa yourselves. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. Get yourself and your loved ones the perfect gift with up to 40% off at shop.analuisa.com slash awesome. That's shop.analuisa.com slash awesome. And again, you're getting 40% off at shopanaluisa.com slash awesome. Okay, friends, as you're looking ahead to 2022, maybe you've got a big wedding to go to on the calendar this year, or maybe you just want to be ready for a spontaneous date night. Whatever the occasion, you deserve to look and feel your absolute best. Feel the control and confidence you need for any occasion with Honey Love Shapewear. Honey Love is shapewear you actually want to wear. Designed for comfort and looks, Honey Love is as beautiful as your favorite lingerie, with unparalleled construction. This is not your grandma's girdle. Honey Love is made from premium materials and constructed with a signature X that targets and sculpts your midsection without squeezing those beautiful natural curves. Honey Love's super soft and flexible boning means that your shapewear never rolls down. People love their Honey Love. It has thousands of five-star reviews. My absolute favorite thing about Honey Love is how absolutely size-inclusive they are. They have gorgeous shapewear in an awesome range of sizes, plus there's no risk. Honey Love covers the shipping and restocking to make all U.S. returns completely free. You deserve shapewear that you want to show off. See for yourself at honeylove.com and get 20% off of a second item. Plus, when you use code awesome, you'll get an additional 10% off of your entire order. So get 20% off of your second item plus an additional 10% off at honeylove.com with code awesome. Honeylove.com code awesome. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, we are back. The snow has begun to fall here in Oklahoma City. (laughs) Daisy and I are continuing our conversation about Disney's Encanto. We talked about the music and all of the insights that it gives to the characters and the narrative development and all of that good stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the themes, Mm -hmm. the sort of overarching broad themes that come out of this story that people have really been relating to. I think if we're talking about Encanto, the first thing we have to talk about straight off the top is generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we we start the story with Mirabelle and how she's feeling sad and left out and disappointed. A lot of feelings about not seeming to not have a gift. There's also this dynamic between her and her abuela mm-hmm. that a lot of people are like, oof, that feels super toxic, right? Yes. What we don't know until the story continues to evolve, and we do get to that part with Dos Orguitas, mm-hmm. the story of Alma, her abuela, and Pedro, and the trauma they experienced as people who are displaced by war and conflict in yeah. 
in Colombia. So when we see the devastating heartbreak of Alma, uh, of losing Pedro, Pedro's death in the midst of them fleeing the violence, their displacement from their home, Alma being left to raise the babies by herself. I mean, yes, she does emerge as this really strong and respected matriarch, but she went through terrible heartache and she basically had to process it on her own. That trauma for her solidifies into these behaviors that, okay, they do kind of present as toxic and passive aggressive and controlling. We begin to see, though, that she's had this fear this miracle has been entrusted to her Mm -hmm. and this fear that like, what if it falls apart? What if, what if all of it, all of her loss and all of her sacrifice, like what if it was for nothing? It definitely comes out of a place of wanting to protect what is closest and most important to her. Yeah. But it, she clings so strongly to the fear of losing it all that she ends up tearing it apart on her own. Exactly. Exactly. So we definitely see in the way the story plays out, the, the the trauma as it comes out and the brokenness, but also because this is a beautiful Disney movie mm-hmm. and not real life, yeah, we do get to see a resolution of it, like this ideal and healthy ultimate um, confrontation of it, right? Yes, between yes. Abuela and um, and Mirabelle, and it's done with gentleness, and it's done with you know some. A, a place where she can kind of where Abuela can face what she's been doing herself. Mm-hmm. She can face the damage that she's created in trying to keep up the image of this magical family madrigal, you know, ultimately the relationships are repaired and they're able to rebuild both literally and figuratively from a place of love and acceptance. But I think that truly in Kanto in a way that few movies have been able to do mm-hmm. really shows how the, the trauma that is experienced by our parents, our grandparents, and in generations before that, how, when that is not dealt with, it gets passed on from generation mm-hmm. to generation. It continues to affect people outside of the, uh, the people who immediately experience yes. it. Yes. My one criticism, I think, I don't, I really do not have anything bad to say about this movie, but the one thing that I would like to see changed is that, well, of course, this is a Disney movie, so they did have to have that neat little happy ending, everything is going, is going to be okay, because we all love each other, but I feel like the family, and I I do have friends who think this as well, the family forgave Abuela so easily after everything that had happened, after they literally lost their entire home. Yeah. And they were so ready to say, okay, uh, we're just going to go back to being happy family again. Mm. But really, I would have appreciated it more if they had still been like, well, yeah, you did this thing that kind of like tore us apart. So we're not ready to fully like embrace you yet. But we do appreciate that you're trying. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very cliche Disney thing to do to say, um, we're family. We love each other. We're going to make this work. It's okay now. Right. But, I mean, this film already breaks the mold in so many ways that I think they honestly could have gotten away with doing. Okay. Maybe a little bit more realistic. Yeah. Yeah. View on it. Okay. I understand where you're coming from on that. I think it speaks to the fact that in the process of repairing relationships that have been broken for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. that 
it is one thing to want to repair the relationship, but to acknowledge that that like that trust is not going to come instantly. Mm-hmm. And especially in the case of Mirabel, who has borne the burden and the brunt of so much, you know, just beneath, beneath the surface kind of animosity from her grandmother mm-hmm. for not having a gift this whole time. I can see, like, I, I do see what you're saying, that yes. it's this really idealized version of Mirabelle just instantly being able to... Not just Mirabelle, the whole family. Because right. it wasn't just her that she affected. That's true. That's true. Okay. I think we see it most clearly in that relationship, but yes. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That it was the whole family dynamic. Yeah. Got it. But so, yes, I do think that the that many people are experiencing that. And I do want to acknowledge, too, you and I, again, we've talked about this, we are white, are... Our generations past that came through great difficulty mm-hmm. are a lot of generations in the past. Mm-hmm. But I've heard from numerous people, both online and in-person friends, who um, whose parents have experienced some kind of a trauma, especially in um, like the immigrant experience. Yes. Or not even immigration, like in Colombia, we're talking about they had they were almost like refugees in their own country, having to flee the um, their their hometown and, mm-hmm. and go out to the countryside because of conflict and war. But that when that trauma is also associated with coming into a new culture, building new traditions, and those kinds of things, that sometimes it can just get kind of you know messy. Yeah, and so it's complicated. Complicated. And I do think Encanto, along with some of the more recent Disney movies, they do a great job of kind of getting into the messiness and complications of family dynamics yeah. Yeah. in a way that they definitely didn't use to in the <laughs> the Princess Finds Her Prince days of Disney yes. movies. Uh-huh. All right. Well, let's talk about one that might hit a little closer to home for you and I. And that's <laughs> the idea of perfectionism and acceptance. Mm-hmm. So in both of the characters of... Isabella and Louisa, their entire identity in the family is really wrapped up in their ability to not just have their gifts, but to execute their gifts perfectly. Mm -hmm. They have to uphold this idea that's been placed upon them. Like, this is who they are because this is what the family says they should be. Right. The family mostly being Abuela. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so for like with Isabella, she believes that she's only pleasing to her family and to the Mm -hmm. community. Because again, Mm -hmm. the idea is that these gifts are not just for the family, but also to serve the community. Mm -hmm. But that she's only doing it well when she's making beautiful things, objectively Mm -hmm. beautiful things, roses Mm -hmm. and and those types of things. For this reason, I think that a lot of um, artists heavily relate to her. Because if your passion is truly something that you care about, then of course you're going to want to do it in a way that is beautiful and pleasing. But then when other people start to recognize the quality of your craft, they begin to expect that sort of thing from you consistently. And then that sort of pressure builds up Mm. over time. (laughs) Surface pressure. Well, that's a different. (laughs) Yeah. But no, I I get that. Yeah. That there's, there is this balance with artistry and creating things. Mm-hmm. And we could even just say, if you create anything, yes. there's this balance between doing it because it pleases you and it's your desire and what you want to do and what it brings to others mm-hmm. and being able to navigate. Is it still worth creating if it's just something that makes me happy? Yeah. Louisa, on the other hand, uh, like you just mentioned with surface pressure, she says, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. Mm -hmm. She's navigating this 
idea that she's been given this gift and she just absolutely, because she is strong, Mm-hmm. That she can never rest. Yeah. That whatever anybody asks her to do that requires her superhuman strength, she has to say yes because she can do it. So she thinks she has to do it. Right. That's the idea that if you're not, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to keep saying like, yeah, this is like me, but there are a lot of ideas that kind of remind me uh-huh. of me. Yes. Um, that if I'm not being productive, then I'm not doing the right thing. Right. Just because th- you can do something doesn't always mean you should. Right. You've reminded me of this whenever I'm trying to take in all these music opportunities. I'm like, I want to do this. I want to do this. And you're like, you're putting too much on your plate. You're just because you have this option doesn't mean it's the right one for you. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's I guess sort of in the the same realm of just that idea. (laughs) I think that, you know, it's funny that you said that I hate to keep making this about me, but you feel like you relate to a lot of things. Uh (laughs) I mean, I do think that that is why this film has spoken to so many people because so many people, and we're focusing on the ones that kind of speak to us. But I mean, look at a character like Camillo, Mm -hmm. the shapeshifter. I'm confident there are many people, and I can identify with this as well, especially as an Enneagram 9, of being somebody who mirrors back uh, to the person they're they're talking to, mirrors them back to themselves. You know what I mean? Like, is able to just, like, blend in. And And I – sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. Uh, That is also sort of, like – that can be an amazing thing, and then that can also be, like, a really hurtful thing because because of Camillo's gift – a lot of people that have been fans of the show, like, would point out, realistically, that would also create, like, this sort of doubt in his own identity. Like, because he's able to become all these other people, does he really know who Camillo is? Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And especially since he's a teenager, then that that thought especially rings true. Mm, absolutely. Well, ultimately, as we look at these, at the, the characters kind of grappling with and needing to have these like sort of emotional breakthrough moments, I think it becomes clear through the film that Mirabel's gift to each of them is to have an invitation to just like take a break from other people's expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, she tells Louisa that you can rest, like you can sit down, yes. rest. You don't have to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. She in a way gives is a Bella, the permission that she needs to just be fun and and crazy and do what she wants to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I think that that's an important thing, too, to, to see that there is a gift in being able to see somebody that you love and where they're using their gifting, but to the detriment of themselves mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of pull them aside and say, hey, whoa, what about you? Mm-hmm. And I think Mirabelle is a perfect embodiment of that. Yeah. And ultimately then about accepting yourself and, and recognizing, and, and Abuela even has this line in all of you that it's not about the magic that you do. It's about who you are, basically. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't say the lyrics it's, right. Yeah. I can't exactly remember the lyrics either, but she says she had been so focused on this uh, miracle that she forgot who the miracle was for. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. The last thing that stood out to me is this idea of out versus in, especially in family dynamics. Mm-hmm. So I do think this is one of the most universally felt themes in the whole story. And it's whether or not you feel accepted and like you fit in, Mm -hmm. in your family. Bruno, we should talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) 
many times have we made that joke? I, it's stupid. We can't <laughs> keep doing it, but it's just so easy. But he really does. He senses the pain that this that his visions cause to his mother, specifically to the family. And he chooses to literally hide himself to mm-hmm. t- sort of like take himself out of the family. And for 10 years, he lives in the walls mm-hmm. of La Casita because he doesn't want to cause pain for the other people in the family. So he chooses to place himself at the edges of family life because he recognizes like my visions of the future do not fit this picture perfect idea that my mother has for this family. Mm -hmm. And so I'll just go be off by myself where I won't hurt anybody because of what I, you know, know to be the truth. Yeah. Which is so sad and heartbreaking, it right? Is, is. And I think it's an important thing, too, to recognize, like, yes, there's this idea that he has visions of the future and that most of them are sort of have an ominous feel to them. But that the classical idea of prophecy is not even so much telling the future as much as it is speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think like Enneagram 8s and other people who feel compelled to really be bold in speaking the truth and not sugarcoat it and just be like, this is what's, I can see this where this is going and this is what's going to happen. That oftentimes that's not well received in families. Yes. Especially families that are invested in presenting an idea of happiness and perfectionism and, and, um, you know, everything being like picture perfect. Mm -hmm. And so I think that probably there are a lot of people that do identify with Bruno and his gift and how it can actually be, feel more like a curse than a gift. Definitely. On the other hand, we have Mirabelle who knows that her presence and her seeming lack of a gift does cause pain in the same way that Bruno's actual gift caused pain. But instead of hiding, she, on the other hand, tries to make up for it by never showing disappointment, by being super over-the-top happy. If you think about her her lyrics and her introducing all of the family and the family Madrigal, mm-hmm. like, it's like super hyper, aren't we the best, like rah-rah cheerleading mm-hmm. to really maintain her fineness and never letting, except for when she's by herself, never letting herself acknowledge that she's not okay. Which is like the sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum, it seems like when you feel like you're out of sync or out of, you don't have a place within your family. So uh, are you familiar with trauma responses? Yes. Mm -hmm. So the four main responses being fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Mm -hmm. And I think Bruno and Mirabelle in this movie um, exemplify both flight and fawn in this, within their family, because upon realizing that Bruno was well, seemed to be doing more harm than good with his gift. He fled the family, very obviously. Right. And then, you know, with, with Mirabelle sort of being, seeing herself as the disappointment of mm-hmm. the family, she chose to overcompensate by being this uh, happy-go-lucky, you know, just yes, rolling with the punches kind of girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, fawning. Yes. And so I think that as we look at family dynamics, there's this there's two sides of it. There's both seeing yourself as the one who doesn't fit in with your family of origin, but then also being part of a family mm-hmm. to be able to look and say, how am I, am I contributing to a dynamic in my family where I'm not making it easy for somebody who is in our family who doesn't exactly fit in, mm-hmm. which is why I think it just speaks to so that it speaks to parents and grandparents, the same that it speaks to kids and teenagers. Yes. So, yeah, and I know truly teenagers and young people have been flocking to this movie. Mm -hmm. Do you think that a lot of that you and your 
friends kind of feel seen, as it were. By- I, yes, I definitely think so. I think the the main two uh, concepts that this movie explores that draws people my age, young adults, teens, is the feeling of being misunderstood and mm-hmm. not having a place where everybody else has a place. Yeah. Um, as we teenagers are still trying to identify who we are, we often feel like we lack truly a, a place where we belong. Yeah. And people don't fully understand like who we are as a whole. They see bits and pieces, but they don't they don't fully see. And so with having a protagonist like Mirabelle, who experiences all of those things sort of like to I don't want to say an extreme, but she does experience those things very strongly. Mm-hmm. Being able to see ourselves in that way is is very it's important. It's valuable. Uh, and then also uh, with both Louisa and Isabella, this idea, this this sort of compulsion to fulfill an expectation that either we have placed upon ourselves or that our family has placed upon us because we doubt whether we would still carry the same worth if we didn't. Mm, yeah. Louisa and Isabella do experience this in different ways, but they, they still ha- carry the same message. Yeah. That's so right. And to go back to what you were saying too about the family thing and teens and looking for acceptance and a place, I think that this is where we, this, it, the, Encanto doesn't deal with this, but this is where we have this idea of, or this concept of chosen family mm-hmm. come in, where as a teen or a young person, um, going out into the world, if you do not ever find that place of acceptance for who you are and belonging and, um, yeah, of being loved because of who you are and not what you do, if you don't find that in your family of origin, you go out into the world and kind of form your own family, the, yeah. the chosen family where you are known and seen and loved and accepted for who you yes. are. Yeah. So, okay, last question for you. The whole premise of the film and and the igniting song for Mirabelle, Waiting mm-hmm. for a Miracle, does Mirabelle have a gift? I mean, I think so. I, I think, think so she too. does. Yes. She is so emotionally intelligent. Yeah. Which I do appreciate seeing. And although she's not stereotypically a Disney princess, she is a female protagonist in a Disney film. Which, I mean... In years past, that sort of thing hasn't been as valuable, but being able to recognize that there are different types of intelligence is so important because she has such a gift to, not not a, not a casita gift, uh-huh. but the innate ability to kind of work her way into people's hearts and get them to, to finally unleash what all has been just being stored away in there for, for no one else to see, but she gets to see it. Yeah. That's right. I would agree with all of that. I can't add anything. That's perfect. Uh, Not to place too much pressure on you for saying that. (laughs) Giving the perfect answer. (laughs) I have wondered through the years if my casual use of the adjective perfect has added to your... (laughs) Maybe. Perfectionism. I don't know. (laughs) 
All right, Daisy, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. I mean, this yes. is like the culmination of lots and lots of little side conversations we've mm-hmm. had over the past month, right? Definitely. Um, but this has been so great to hear your thoughts. And thank you for taking the time to break down some of the music because that was oh, absolutely. absolutely fascinating. It was so fun. Thank you for having me. I love it. Well, Awesomes, if you want to talk more about Encanto, you know I'm up for that conversation anytime. You can come and find me on social media at Sword of Awesome Men. On any social platform that you're on, search sort of awesome, hashtag us, we will find you. We would love to hear your thoughts on this episode or anything awesome that you've got going on. So, Dicey, again, thank you so much. Awesomes, thank you for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.